This is the Cash Value Solutions Podcast, where your hosts, Jason Polmeyer and Kyle Mann, shed light on little-known money truths to help you take control of your financial future and become your own banker. Subscribe, rate, and review the show, and check us out at CashValueSolutions.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Cash Value Solutions Podcast this week. Kyle, can you lead us lead us off with the topic? Yes, we're going to discuss the illiquidity period in a whole life insurance policy. We've had some people ask about it and talk about it. And, you know, we'll just talk about why you should even go through that period. Yeah. So maybe the best thing we can do for new listeners is to just start off with what what we even mean by the illiquidity period of a policy. And for instance, if you would pay in a $10,000 premium to a life insurance policy, maybe you would have somewhere between $5,000 show up in cash surrender value mm-hmm. in the first year. So the difference between what you've paid in premium and how much cash surrender value you've taken on, if you paid in $10,000 and you have $5,000 of cash surrender value, you've taken on $5,000 of illiquidity. Yep. Um, why I give a range is because it just, it depends on company, your age, your health, uh, product selection, Lots of things, so I I don't like to just say a specific number, so that's why I get sure. a range there. Yeah. Um, you know, we also, in my opinion, we have to keep this in perspective, though. Like, like I was saying earlier to Kyle, you know, illiquidity, like we take that on in a lot of things. If we contribute to a Roth IRA or a 401k, you know, I contribute to, uh, say, the max of $6,000 to a Roth IRA, well, that's $6,000 of illiquidity that I've taken on. Yeah. And sure, I can withdraw up to that $6,000 as long as the market's gone up and I still have that much value. Um, You're going to be subject to penalty on those gains. Subject to penalty on the gains to withdraw those. And the market could go down when I put those $6,000 in. So there's no guarantee that I can actually take $6,000 out. Sure. So I may be taking a loss at that point. So... You take on illiquidity in many things. You just don't think about it the same. You know, real estate has illiquidity. Yep. Um, I guess you need to look at the period of illiquidity and what that is going to provide you, you know, going through whatever that is, buying the whole life insurance, buying the um, 401 or putting money into the 401k or buying real estate. What, what value can that add? Yeah. And does it line up with your goals? Yeah. That's a big thing that we don't talk about a lot. And that, I mean, when you go talk to your financial advisor or accountant, like a lot of times we're not talking about goals. We're just talking about what rate of return and what the situation is right now. You know, it's not like, what what do you want to do in the future? How can you achieve it? It's kind of silly that we go to those meetings and, you know, we talk about how much money do you need to save in this and that and the other. And, you know, then we try to put a rate of return on it and it's like, well, Either that's not enough or it's too much. And if it's not enough, then we say, well, what if we took on a little more risk and instead of 8%, we get 9%. You know, well, that's kind of silly. You really can't control the rate of return that you're going to get. And just taking on more risk doesn't necessarily mean no. that you're going to end up with a higher rate of return. So that's that's not a very good... Usually it doesn't go correlate down. that well. I mean, you see some of the like the mega rich guys. I mean, they're talking, they're taking calculated risk. 
that, you know, they, they, they understand not, oh yeah, let's just go on this risky, whatever stock it is. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Uh, honestly, the biggest things you can do to affect that, and then we can get back on this illiquidity thought, but the biggest things that you can do to affect how much money you're going to end up with at the end is when you start saving, the earlier, the better, and how much you contribute. Sure. Those are the biggest things that you can do. And, and then start, or start by paying attention to tax efficiency later on too, because that's, that could consume a lot of the dollars that you create. It also has to be the right savings asset though. I mean, a lot of people talk about qualified plans and things along those lines, the market as a savings vehicle, and it's not because you have a risk of loss. Yeah. So, classified things, right? That's an investment vehicle. Yeah. And I don't think saving in a saving account is very smart. You're, you're losing, like right now, they, what they say, inflation's at 6% that they're admitting to or whatever. 8% maybe even? I, I'm I don't not know. sure. Who knows? It's probably well over. Well, we know it's well over whatever they tell us. Well, look at what land appreciated by this year. Or housing. Or used vehicles. I mean, yeah. So if you have money in your savings account that's earning 0.1% and the inflation rate is 6 plus percent, you are losing money. That is neg- that's a negative interest rate without it being you know, presented as being negative. Yeah, because your purchasing power, your dollars are buying less. Sure. So you need to focus on the asset that that's going to provide you the most benefit or the best benefit for what it is. Now, whole life insurance is not going to grow at 9% interest, like just face value 9% interest. Now, when we, fo- when we figure in the tax benefits, things along those lines... I mean, things are a little different, but that you know that's going to provide you with way more than what the savings account is, way more than what the money market is, death protection, compound uninterrupted interest. So I guess kind of what I'm getting at is when we're looking at things to purchase, save in, and invest in, and we're going to have periods of illiquidity, we need to see what those what those are providing us to see if it's worth going through that period of illiquidity. And uh, another example for me is when I go through this, I mean, right now I would still be ahead if I would have been accumulating cash inside of a savings account versus my whole life policies Mm -hmm. because of the illiquidity period. But I am just about over the hump with both of them to where however much premium I pay into the policies, there's going to be more cash surrender values showing up in them. So that's a really good feeling. Yeah. And I'm only made three premium payments on both of them, about to make a fourth one um, on the other one. Um, but I'm looking at the illiquidity that's creating in my cash position on my balance sheet. And then I'm thinking about, okay, what about in 10 years when this thing is adding $10,000 to my balance sheet instead of taking away $5,000 from that earlier mm-hmm. example? What about 20, 30 years from now when it's when it's adding fifty thousand dollars, yeah, to that's it, it's gonna be huge. That is massive. Yeah. So for me, like this, this asset aligns with my goals. It allows me to expand my business or to try and purchase undervalued assets, things that I believe are undervalued, and create more with it, as as well as adding to my balance sheet later on in a much more critical time than right now, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, I've said this many times on the podcast, it's 
It's about focusing on how much premium I can pay, not how much illiquidity. Um, but everybody has to balance that. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this in one of our previous podcasts, but that um, policy that you designed where you paid 100000 in from age 30 to... 71. Yeah, 71. So yeah, you put in $4.1 million, but then at from age, whatever, 72 until, what was it? 100. 100. Through the age of 100. Yeah, you were able to you know, extract $740,000 a year of income. That's you're not paying taxes on. I mean, and that added illiquidity to your life for eight years before you had as much cash surrender value as premiums paid into the policy. I mean, there's definitely, we're, we've, we see inflation now. There's, if we continue the route we're on, there's going to be inflation in the future. So 700 and some thousand dollars at that time period is not going to seem like what it does today. Yep. But still, I mean, what if you did nothing? What if you kept that in a savings account? You could not do that. What if you kept it in a 401k? You'd have so much tax to pay that you could not do that. And I think that, I think people like to look at it as, well, if I keep my money in a savings account though, Kyle, I don't take on that illiquidity and I can still go out and purchase things. And you know what? There's no cost for me having my money in the savings account. You know, it's not costing me anything besides I'm losing a little purchasing power, which a lot of people don't even think about. And so- if I need to purchase something that's $50,000, well, I just pay cash for it. Well, there is a cost. It's called opportunity cost. What could that money be doing for yeah, you? Yeah, that's something we don't think about in you know, a lot of our business. Like in the cattle business, I mean, that's you know something huge. People don't value, like if they're going to you know do a cash flow, they won't price their hay at market price. They won't or figure in the interest cost of purchasing 100 cows or something yeah, along those lines. Just as an example, I mean- there's opportunity costs in everything we do. Now, it's not worth stressing every single second, hoping that you're getting the highest, you know, you're, or you're eliminating opportunity costs as much as possible. But these are easy things that we can look at and see like, hey, there's an opportunity cost here. How can I minimize that? And whole life insurance compared to the savings account, it's just an easy thing to look at and see, okay, easy way to limit my opportunity costs. Compared to a lot of things, in my opinion. Sure. I mean, which you've stated in the past, you know, compares excellent to things that are in the same or relatively similar asset class as it, and even compares well to the stock market over long periods of time. You shouldn't say that. Yeah, that's, yeah. (laughs) But um, it, you just have to keep things in perspective and realize, you know, when everybody else is talking about rates of return and things like this, and, and, you know, if you're looking at this policy and you're like, well, gosh, this thing, yeah, over the long term, it's going to do something, but I'm, what about that illiquidity? Well, factor in the illiquidity. What can you handle right now in your life? And what is the boost that it's going to be to your balance sheet? That's what I've, I'm personally looking at. What is that boost going to be worth? Yeah. You know, all along the way, I have my line of credit that I can use uh, with farm credit which I, I use every year to purchase things. I have my policy available to me to, to, to do business. And I have, I have options. And I'm just, I'm building towards a more stable future. And that policy can also, you know, you don't have to take policy loans. You can collateralize it against a, a line of credit or, you know, some sort of purchase. You know, I mean, it doesn't just have to be... or the value isn't just in the 
aspect of being able to borrow the cash from the cash value. I last year uh, I looked into cash value collateral loans, so you can get uh, you can collateralize your life insurance policy and get loans from certain banks, and they will give you typically what is a lower interest rate than the policy loan. Mm-hmm. So it's another option for people that that feel like too you know when we're when we're looking at borrowing from the policy that you know well that's that's too high you know well there's other options because banks know how valuable that these policies are and how safe the asset class is so they're willing to lend funds at a high percentage sure to the policy at low interest rates three percent or sometimes even under that sure so what else do we have on illiquidity kyle well, another thing to look, think about is, are we going to let a couple thousand dollars up front of illiquidity, you know, prevent us from doing a policy where it could maybe have $100,000 more of death benefit, cash value, you know, down the road? Yeah. I mean, are we going to compare illustrations and potentially have one that we fund for a shorter period of time because it gives us $2,000 more of liquidity in the first five years? Versus we look down the road and like Kyle said, maybe we have a hundred thousand dollars more cash value or death benefit or something like that with a, a policy designed slightly differently with a more flexibility and the ability to fund longer. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got away the options there. And I, I think hardly ever that, you know, you need to, or you should choose the the first option, you know, with the $2,000. I mean, be, be realistic with yourself. How much are you actually going to borrow? out of the policy. I can tell you that a lot of people, when they come to us and talk about IBC, they are extremely worried about taking out policy loans and how that's going to work. Very few of them have taken out a policy loan yet. Mm -hmm. They're still just capitalizing their policy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's, I like how you said, you know, compare the first five years too. That's something we should be looking at too, instead of just year one, how much do we have compared to how much we've paid in? Do we have 80%? Do we have 70% of what our first paid premium is? Look over five years, I mean. Yeah, and is the difference really that much? I mean, some people are pushing like the policy isn't designed right unless you have 80% or 90% of cash value mm-hmm. um, compared to premium show up in the first year. And it's like, I, I would definitely argue that. So then we should also think about, I mean, we can look down the policy illustration and we don't want to get too caught up in these illustrations either. Because they're just illustrating what is happening today, but they give us an outlook anyways. And if there's a substantial difference in the illustrations between between the two, regardless of what dividends do, there's going to be that difference too. So if it's substantially lower or whatever later on, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be that way. Yeah. And, and that's absolutely right about illustrations, but um, there was some guys in the insurance industry um, that did some 10-year reviews of policies that they have put in force that are on the books. And it was quite interesting because the companies that projected higher values than other companies were still the ones that were ahead of the companies that projected lower values, sometimes by significant amounts, depending on the company. Mm-hmm. And so while the illustration is just a projection, 
um, it's interesting how that that study they did worked out. And yeah, the the illustration just helps us see into the future a little bit, but it doesn't. It's not. It doesn't dictate what's actually going to happen. But the trends are useful to see. Yeah. And and I like the illustration as well. This is getting a little bit off topic of the illiquidity. Um, but it just, it gives me a place to, you know, can we can conceptually talk with potential clients about how policies work. Sure. But then the illustration can be used to say, you know, hey, here's the base premium, the PUA premium, the term rider, if it has one. Um, these are the requirements of the PUA rider and such. And it, it just, it's helpful to actually see that on paper and not just conceptually think about it too. And so. maybe we need to do a podcast just on illustrations, how to look at them and what, what, um, what's important. Yeah. What's not. Yeah. I yeah. think that's a good idea. So, all right. Well, I think that wraps up this week and we'll be back next week with a new podcast. See you guys. This was the Cash Value Solutions Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Check us out at cashvaluesolutions.com. And don't forget to tune in next week.